Hello and welcome to our show, Conversation with Priya. Reggie Joseph is a respected investor, corporate advisor, social worker, and a professional artist. He served as the CEO of a listed private equity company where he was able to turn the group around to register record growth and performance. He assumed charge when the company reported record losses and orchestrated a rebuilding that saw a record turnaround in profit in their corporate history. He was ranked among the top 100 CEOs. He was previously associated with the KPMG as their director of corporate finance. A major chunk of his work experience has revolved around management private equity corporate finance over the past two decades across the multiple geography. He is also volunteering at NGO for Children with HIV AIDS Prathiyasha uh, advisor to a prominent social enterprise for children with learning difficulty, Blink 3R Labs. Being a gifted artist, he has held solo and group exhibitions. Reggie enjoys a round of golf, indulges a scuba diving, practices martial arts, and relax with cycling. So today in our show, help me to welcome Mr. Reggie Joseph. Hello, Mr. Reggie Joseph. Um, welcome to our conversation with Priya show. Thank you for joining in today. Thank you, Priya, for having me here. My pleasure. It is, I have been introduced you, you by a friend of mine, Santoshi Ashoki is really, really um, talking high about you. And uh, we, I have seen your couple of work, it is really admirable. So, and as we can see in your background, a couple of images. And, um, you have been working in, in this industry for a while in the artistic industry. Yeah, actually uh, to be part of the industry was a very short time, but being an artist, perhaps my whole life. Uh, it's only recently I decided to go commercial and get my art out there. And I tried to make my art resonate with a common person and not a connoisseur of art. Uh, I want it to be appealing and I uh, customize my own technique since I'm not a trained artist uh, to do things differently over a period of time. And I would still say, um, I'm a learning artist yeah. and embarking on something which I think is 10, 15 years down the line. And what I'm doing right now is just a journey. It's a work in progress. I know 10, 15 years down the line, I'm going to push that ball further and see how much more I can perhaps pull it and expand my imagination. Yeah, I, this is an artistic industry and it's you have no limits. No, no limits. Sky has no limits and you can go wild as much as possible. And this is the journey you are going through. Uh, that brings to my, you know, next question. What, what made you think to come into this industry as a business owner? Very good. Uh, I, a very good question. Uh, I was a corporate CEO for many years, ran private equity firms abroad. Uh, restructured companies, did mergers, acquisitions across different geographies. And now there's been a switch. So people say there's been a huge switch. I don't know how huge the switch was. Uh, to be honest, my life was always an artist. I sat down in a group, in a, chair, in a CEO's chair or a director's chair for many years, but I was always an artist at heart. My other life was the corporate work, which I also enjoyed a lot. Yeah. So the switch, so that so-called switch was easy to do. Yeah. I used to spend more time in the boardroom at the time, 
and corporate offices now more time in my studio, which I am wearing right now. My office has converted itself into a complete studio now. So enough of huge files, everything is digitized. It's just a proportion of time spent on each of these hobbies. Art is a hobby, corporate life is a hobby for me. My life in investment strategy and art were same in a lot of ways as a leader. Yeah. You need to approach your work with discipline and dedication. When you're running an equity firm or you're a director in a company, in art, funnily, it better be. In work, you get up early in the morning and get moving. Most people don't realize it's the same for art. We get up, get to work, and not wait for some fanciful inspiration to come back. In corporate life, there are ups and downs. In art, there is a lot more than that. A lot of downs, self-doubt, frustration, never-ending rework, flawed approaches. And then when the artwork finally gets done, it's worth the ups and downs. So yeah. I didn't move entirely out of corporate life. I, my main job has always been an artist. I still assist a lot of companies, a lot of startups. I'm an active uh, investor, advise social enterprise. At the same time, the life of artists is seldom quiet. There's endless work, planning, and endless experimentation. Yeah, and I think that's a part of entrepreneurship which we can, you can collaborate in this one. And as you rightly said, that discipline is everything. You know, no matter what you are doing, if you have you don't have that basic discipline in place. It is hard to bring the exceptional work in in either aspects or personal or professional life. I, I, I do agree with you. People should definitely be very disciplined, no matter what you are doing. Whether you are working for yourself or a, for a corporate, it's the same discipline applies, isn't it? I fully agree. I read a book by Jacko Willick, one of the Navy SEALs, a great motivational speaker. Yeah. He says discipline equals everything. So everything, what you want, it's success, it's always discipline. And the funny yeah. thing is, once you put a bit of discipline in your life, you find that you have a lot more time, find you have a lot more energy, find you a lot more control of your environment. There's so much slippages of energy and the whole thing will get together. It's just a small things of discipline will differentiate the winner and the loser completely by light years. Mm. It's very simple. Yeah, for sure. So um, actually that brings to my next question. How was it when you made the switch from the business boardroom to the quiet life? Of a professional artist, what was what have been your learning from the two roles? I think learning has been very interesting. Uh, I found out that both both these lives are same in a lot of ways. Uh, we are, the only differences at that. So you come out of your suits since you are not sitting in a corporate office. Uh, it's also the timing. Uh, at work, you're there at a fixed time. In art, not necessarily, but surprisingly, what really dawned on to me a little later is yeah. the amount of time you spend about surprisingly is much more. So the and the approach for your work and the approach for your art is almost the same. To give you one example, when I had an exhibition which Ashok helped me uh, a couple of years ago, we had a record turnout for the inauguration for at that time an unknown artist like me. And the press went crazy. The radio stations went crazy. So a friend of mine came and said, this is what happens when an artist is a CEO. 
he puts all the mechanisms in place. And the gallery I went through, they were all puzzled. They've not seen so much of bustle and hustle ever. And they've seen the big guys. And I had a chat with them and I realized the approach was completely different from the existing artist. Sure. They were trying to showcase their work in yeah. a very modest way. Yeah. Now you have to approach things very, very uh, consciously. And there is a responsibility you have as an artist when somebody takes your artwork and go. Same thing in the, when I'm a, a CEO of a company. I am responsible to all my stakeholders. An artist is responsible to your buyers and your patrons. If somebody buys my artwork for, let's say, $10,000, I have to make sure it's worth an investment because that artwork should be worth $15,000 maybe in a few years' time. Yeah. And God forbid I say sell a similar artwork after a few years for the same price. I've yeah. done justice. So you have to do things. You have to come with new techniques. You have to remain fresh for the sake of the buyer. So the approaches are a lot similar. Uh, and I the switch is only maybe like changing a certain aspect of uh, your uh, customized approach for each of them. Otherwise, it was a very easy transition. I had the fortune, the mindset for it, so it became much more easy. Yeah. So uh, in that case, like I, I always believe that you do not, people do not buy your product or service. They buy your value, right? And I think that applies in every area, including artistic area and the entrepreneurship. And life lesson, you cannot ignore. Life lesson is always there. You know, it built in in your life uh, and your in your daily routine, and it becomes your second nature, isn't it? So. That's something you are trying to highlight here, isn't it? Absolutely. When somebody is buying an art of work, they're just not buying an inexpensive canvas with some paint on it. The yes. value of that, they're buying a piece of my soul and I take it very, 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 very seriously. Yeah. An artwork might take a few months of work, uh, but actually there's a lot more which goes beyond it. Uh, to give you an example, Picasso was sketching something in his uh, in a cafe on a napkin, and he just sketched for about maybe a minute. He crumpled it and he was going to throw it in the dustbin. A lady approached him and said, "Can you? Can I have that?" So he said, "That's twenty thousand dollars." And he said, uh, "It took you only five minutes." He told her, "My dear, this took sixty years. He was sixty years that time, and that is so true." The yeah. work, what you might see behind me, I've been working on it for maybe two months, but the research took more than six months on these projects and the thinking was going on for a long time. Yeah. So it's, it's exactly like what you said. Yeah, for sure. So people, people definitely buy value. We can't ignore that fact. Reggie, you are the highly regarded chartered accountant, chartered accountancy's profession which is based on the strong foundation of ethic, trust, and integrity. Are these values facing a crisis in the corporate world today? Uh, yes and no. Uh, carrying business with ethics has been a no-brainer in terms of perception and the premium of market, uh, which assigns to such businesses. Uh, accounting, unfortunately, has been dragged in too often for this uh, problem which we see, whenever we think of a scandal, it's yep. immediately brought as accounting scandal. And the part of the problem is accounting sometimes is rule-based, sometimes it's principle-based. And some, we don't, I'm not going to advocate which is better than the other. Judgments have been used. People are pressurized. Management is pressurized. Shareholders of owners are pressurized uh, to show returns. 
So there are two ways to get it, ethically and unethically. And unethical is when you start moving around the shadows and start cutting corners. And there's been so many examples when they did it deliberately. Yeah. And from the Enron scandal, WorldCom, Lehman, Bernie, Olympus, these are all solid financial crises. India, we have one percent beverages, we had uh, DHFL. Is it over? No, we're going to see much, much more and much, much, much more sophistication. Has ethical values been eroded? I would say no. This is the minority where the ethical standards has been eroded. The CA Institute and all CPA, all the professional bodies take it very, very seriously. It is when you want to have an unfair advantage yeah. without having the merits is when you push it. If yeah. you look at other non-accounting scandals, which are dreadful, like what Volkswagen went through recently. Yeah. Uh, it is so unethical. And not only that, when you want an unfair advantage over other people because you have money or you have influence. If you look at recently, the US federal uh, persecutors, they charged 50 people for the, the wealthy parents who got the children into freshmen at Yale, Stanford, South California. These are big institutions. Now, who is guilty in this? We have the parents, we have the institute, and then we have the students. Students had no idea what is going on. Institute has, university has no idea. It is the parents. To give you some examples of what happened, parents of a teenage girl who never played soccer paid 1.2 million to magically make her star soccer recruit. A student who has never rode in life won a spot in the University of South California, crew team, after a photograph of another person on a boat was submitted as evidence, $200,000 were paid. And you know, actress uh, Felicity Huffman, she paid thousands of dollars to have a doctor's SAT scores inflated. Now she went to jail for that. So ethics break down when you want to have this unfair advantage. But yeah. I will never say it is restricted to uh, the, a profession because there is no evidence to show that. Yeah. Uh, for sure. The accounts jugglery, numbers jugglery provides several avenues. And some of these accountants do use it, yeah. although a minority. And the cost of that is huge. And yeah. some of the companies don't ever, you know what happened to Enron? Yeah. One mistake of is covered up with another mistake. And if they do not have the checks and balances along, if they don't have an environment of mitigation, not elimination. Yeah, then you're okay. going to see more and more of this. Hmm. So in that case, like investment consciousness is steadily increasing in our country, particularly among the younger generation. What would be the invest investment advice to the young professional? You know, is there a tr trust deficit or, you know, how, how it is going to help them to, you know, re-prospective choices in property, gold stock, and other shares Young for a younger generation, I, I mean. Yes, sometimes there is a huge trust deficit. Uh, the regulators, the RBI, the SEBI, uh, we have the Association of Mutual Funds of India working hard to remove that trust deficit. There has been so many uh, investment companies have taken the money of small investors, uh, retirees, uh, packed up with their money, unscrupulous. 
the government has tightened it uh, sometimes a little too much that is uh, choking the liquidity at times making it difficult to operate but it's done with the right intention so it has been respected by people uh, today also we have the mutual fund uh, the, the SEBI coming out certain regulations to look at different parameters and how they're going to be evaluated uh, trying to make it more understandable uh, this is trying to attack the trust deficit uh, severe punishment has gone to people who have violated and completely ruined the market uh, through colorable devices. But my advice on uh, young professionals and uh, youngsters, the millennials who want to invest, the winner in tomorrow's world is not the one who earns more. Yeah. It's the one who saves more. So even before you think of investing, the first step is to understand the power of small, regular service, the savings. You have to get that savings mentality as part of your DNA. Yeah. Uh, you should not push it down the road and say, oh, I'm going to save when my salary goes to a higher level. It's, it's never going to happen. Yeah. You have to start. Even if you're going to uh, save a dollar today, mm. save it today. But start somewhere and do it regularly so it becomes a habit. The saving levels is a key determinant of investment levels and the safety net for these youngsters. Yeah. Now, the investment choice could be driven by the level of savings. Now, avoiding leverage is yeah. something that is very, very important. These loans, credit cards, and optimizing spend is key. Sometimes, leverage should can be used only as a good thing. Yeah. If you use the leverage for a certain asset class, if you use leverage for buying property or shares, now you, shares not advisable, but you use for property, it's a long-term investment. I mean, to pay off a housing loan is 20 years. For that, it provides a revenue for a fixed saving, which goes month on month when you pay those mortgages over years and an asset is being created. So you'll have to match it uh, short-term and long-term. Yeah. Historically, the returns on various classes of assets tend to change over yeah. a period of time. Long-term orientation, liquidity requirements, return consideration will usually determine the choice of asset class you want. Hmm. Now, given the youth have a long tail of time span ahead compared to the senior ones, investment should be in a proper portion of the investment classes. So it is advisable to go for long-term in the beginning. Equity is a very good option because yeah. over a period of time, it is shown that it will always go build value over a period of time. Long-term assets like property. Now we have, they have to design a, a saving and a spending mechanism to fit the investment parameters. And it has to be the temperament to stay invested for long. You yeah. save for a house and then you say, I'm going to buy that fancy new car which came out. I saved for three years, but let's forget it. Now that is the biggest challenge they have. But the asset classes are plenty. We can look at debt, we can look at equity, we can look at mutual funds, debt, equity, hybrid, growth. Uh, real estate is, in India, is considered very good. If you go at uh, vanity investment avenues like physical gold, uh, I think you'll be in for a shock. Those are to justify vanity investments. Uh, there are so many, uh, if you look at regular savings accounts, they are very good. And get out of highly speculative investments or semi-Ponzi schemes, which are rampant in the market. 
There are certain types of chit funds, there are certain types of cryptos. These are things you like to avoid. And I see so many youngsters coming and talking to me of someone who's just a class and say, I know someone who's made so much of money. So, and I, they tell me the whole thing with so much of gusto. And I said, you have so much of money to throw off. I don't, but I have this money and I want this money to become big. I said, the minute you put money in high risk, think that money is gone. Otherwise, you're going to lose your sleep. And the probability of losing entirely your entire capital is almost yeah. 99%. So I start with that premise. For a lot of my friends, dear friends, who come and approach me and say, I want to put money into equity, I want to double my money, and I tell them I can't help them. So they're not happy. They tell me, look, you've done so much for the companies you work with, you've shoulder returns. I said, there's an enterprise, I have the ability to control it. But for you, you cannot. You get desperation, you get desperate, you will sell it at the lowest price. As a company, I can hold up, and I don't have to listen to anybody. I can determine the, the future of it. But for you, it's tough. So best to go for the, young, for the youngsters is to go for safe, long-tail investments over the period of time. Yeah, and I, as I always listen, Bob, um, you know, Doctor, and he always talk about how we should educate the youngsters and the newcomers in the market having some money, how they can actually, finance should be a part of a proper education system, I believe, you know, uh, which is in schools, it's not being taught. It's a practical life skill, which has to be taught at the very early stage. And, you know, then you don't have to answer those things because then they will learn that ability from the childhood. For example, my daughter is learning ex in economics and I'm noticing she has a different attitude in last two years since when she started learning economics, you know. All uh, she has changed all her perspective of you know buying and you know creating debt and saving money and all. We it in in India I'm not sure if that's the practice, but in here there is in Australia there is a practice that early stage at the age of year five students or year six students they can open up a child account and then they can start putting their pocket money in that rather than having in their you know piggy banks. So I think it's a practice which needs to be evolved with the time and it has to be taught. And uh, as I always believe, uh, I always teach it to my younger generation. I say them that, you know, why don't you earn a rupee or a dollar and save 30% of it and rest 70% is yours to invest. Anyway, it's a bigger number, right? And that's the practice if people will learn from the beginning and if it is be, it has been taught by the schools and the you know, and and the parenting system. I believe it it will be much better future for them for the youngsters to hold on to the things and the discipline thing you were talking about recently. You know that is that will be formed at the early stage, isn't it? No, I, I agree. I think uh, you're absolutely right on it. Has to be part of the lifestyle, mm -hmm. part of the DNA in saving, in being accountable for spending. Uh, funnily, in India, we don't see that happening too much. Uh, parents take care of, we overtly parent our children. We don't want the children to think. Uh, we decide what they have to do and get them all ready. And we pay all the tuition fees in India. Children don't pay the tuition fees. Concept of students going and getting a student loan is unheard of in India. Parents take a student loan and give it to the children. Yeah. Uh, in Australia, in the, U in the US, in Europe, students go and get the student loan and they are straddled with it for the first couple of years of the, the 
working life, which is a fantastic thing because they are output oriented, they are result oriented, and they some of them take a couple of break years, go earn some money so they can pay the tuition fees when they go. India it doesn't happen. Uh, you decide on which college you go, not based on your ambition, but based on how much your parents can bankroll. And the whole life we've been teaching, we're doing the same thing. And funnily, exactly like what you said, in India, from kindergarten to college to professional qualification, it's in one long cycle because yeah. parents will just bankroll the way through. Yeah. But in some countries, you have to take a break, you have to make the money and go. Uh, this is something which is lacking uh, education at home and in schools, unfortunately, not that. But I'm glad the way they are approaching it in uh, your daughter's school and elsewhere. Uh, we have to get into a sense of responsibility for them in how to manage the savings, how to manage the cost uh, so that they can easily relate. When the minute they see the head of the family going, hey, hang on, we spent too much of, uh, money on heating. Yeah, I spent too much of my electricity bill. They'll be totally puzzled. What's wrong? There's money in the bank, you take it from there. Uh, but then they should have costs, what, 50 times their monthly saving. Then they'll say, wow, well, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And then they begin to feel it. But I think it's very critical when they learn economics, they learn some basic management of their own personal finances. Uh, and in India, more so for children and more so for, for the girls in school. We have to tell them what, what they're capable of and not just push them off into the real world. It's an obligation yeah. for the school and the parents to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I'm al always a big believer when, you know, I, I don't know if you um, read that book, Lean In, that book lady says that, and, you know, if, you, if a girl is speaking firmly, people say you are bossy. But if boy is saying, you say it's a leadership, I think we should start talking about more leadership in every aspect if yeah. they are, you know, they are assertive. Uh, but point is here that, you know, at every aspect, people should actually teach this as a lifestyle. Like, you know, language is important in a school system. Then finance is also one of the life pillar, you know, and that should be taught like a, you know, proper lifestyle. Um, I'm not saying that make them money-minded, but at the same time, you can teach them how to control properly, how to discipline properly, and how you manage your life with that, you know, not getting overwhelmed with the situation, whatever you have given. And support is important for every aspect, but I think they should also get that understanding that eventually it's their own responsibility, you know. So uh, that brings to my another question. Right now in India, you know, stock market on an unending un upward mobility in split of the pandemic. Why do you think so? Uh, it's very interesting. We have all the people say we are on uncertain times, new normal. We are always in uncertain times. Uh, we are always the new normal. We didn't find out what the new, what the normal is. We never got familiar with the normal. People talk about new normal and putting so many predictions. But we one thing we are very clear: the stock market is a lead indicator. Yeah, it tells us where the economy is going forward. In that sense, they don't have a rearview mirror and says it did very well a few years ago. So this is the value of the market. The realization that the pandemic is here to stay, and our change in response to the pandemic has gone up about a paradigm shift in dealing with this change. Investors and consumers realize a positive 
positive approach can only pull ourselves out of this mess. Now, the current business environment becomes very complex. Globalization, monetary easing, liquidity, instant news flows, etc. So, to pinpoint the reason why uh, market is moving up or down becomes tough. Now, what has happened recently? Just going up as though there's a, a never-ending story, if you look at the past one week. Liquidity from RBA and fiscal measures, we are flooding it with liquidity. We are putting liquidity, pumping it. Americans are very happy to do it. Uh, they have an election going on. And somehow we look at the American market as a proxy sometimes. Hmm. Although we are, we should be immune from that. There, sometimes what happens to this could be an inflationary problem going forward. Yeah. But that's the problem which we have the tools addressed to at that time. This time we want to limit the damage. Another reason why the market is also going up is personal liquidity. We are not spending anything. We are not buying these new cars. We are not buying the new houses. We are not going for the expensive holidays yeah. abroad. Indeed, you know, Indians, we just have no idea how to spend money. You just go and spend it out. That extra cash is sitting with us. And the men and the folks are sitting at home and idling away on the computers and watching CNBC and all the channels and everybody thinks it's a genius. So the number of people who become traders have become huge because lack of spending, they want to deploy this to earn the extra buck. Businessmen are unable to invest in their own firms. They are locked down. They don't have any other avenue. And this is not just in India. This is around the world. Yeah. You have the interest rate down. So low that you can borrow money cheaper and the deposits gives you hardly any uh, excitement to go and put money there. So they're forced to go to the market. Now, majority of the trades are not for investment. They're all speculative. If you look at the, look at the low deliveries and the high internet trading, it says exactly that. Yeah. Now, market has gone up. Nifty is about 12,000 right now. Uh, so everybody says, okay, the stock market has gone back. Yeah, the stock market number has gone back, the Nifty <laughs> number. If you look at the Nifty 500, only 25% of them has outrun the Nifty. The rest of them are all hanging low. Now, banks are in trouble uh, till the economy changes. Uh, we're going to see interesting amount of NPAs. Uh, but we'll have to see how going forward because the RBI and the government is going to ensure the banks do not suffer too much because they are the backbone of the economy. Yeah. Now, last year, what was the, when we take us one year back, we are almost same level as what we were last year. Last year we thought, okay, future looks good, uh, prospects are very nice, so there's a reason for it. Now, what we're telling, IMF has said we're going to be down more than 10%. And the market is the same. Valuations have just gone through the roof. But our point of view right now is the worst is over. <laughs> and the pent-up demand is going to come up. Now, it was realized the pent-up demand and the return to exuberant discreet spending is not going to propel the economy out so easily. For sure. Because there are structural problems in the segments of the economy which has gone through permanent damage and has repaired itself. NPS is one such thing. It's broken. When you have an NPA, the money enterprise is closed. The pent-up demand is not going to bring the debt to life again. Sure. There are a number of lending institutions, banks, and other market intermediaries will need a lot of help. And yeah. we must realize 
going forward, some of the businesses are going to do much more, much better than the others. Yeah. Our worry is, is it going to be like Nifty, like the Nifty 500 today? 25% is doing fantastic. Rest are all languishing. Now, that would need decisive action with a long-term perspective from governments. Yeah. And some of the governments are being responsible. Now, once the market opens, we're going to see a reallocation of FDIs. India, Australia, a few other countries have fantastic opportunities there. But are we going to put an ecosystem which is relevant for the new emerging times coming maybe six months, nine months down the line? Yeah. If you look at India's FDI well, as a percentage of uh, uh, the uh, GDP, 1%. Vietnam, anywhere between 6 to 8%. There's a huge upside. And we have to provide a regulatory environment to ensure that anybody comes and puts the money will be treated fairly. Now, we have some of the issues running around with the arbitration courts for some of the MNCs in Singapore and rest. Now, the world is watching, watching what we are doing. Yeah. And it is very important that post-pandemic, we prepare ourselves today. Today is the time we can sharpen our knives. Today is the time we can really plan to go forward. And we will expect the market to correct itself sooner or later. Today, the market is by far in nexus because of all the pump priming. Reality will set in, but the damage of reality setting in while we have this pandemic is going to be a huge problem. So what the government is doing, cleverly, most governments are doing, is pushing that problem down the line when we can handle it individually. They can't handle too many moving parts right now. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But given the current scenario and the kind of work Indian government is doing, it's for investors, overseas investors, it, India is becoming a, a bit of popular play, place compared to other countries, other developing countries. So it's an opportunity given the current scenario. We just need to, as you said, we need to sharpen our knife now so that we are prepared for, for the future. So that brings to my last question again back to your creative line so you uh, you want to become entrepreneur in creative area now you want to more focus on that area that's what i understood in our last conversation so what do you think where do you want to see yourself going with this creative area and do should i expect something happening in australia with your artwork art shows I would hope so. I have a lot of very dear friends in Australia. I've been to Australia earlier. I love the place. I have a lot of dear great relationships. Where does my artwork go? I I have huge plans and dreams of my artwork. Okay. Uh, quite obsessed with it. I'm working on new techniques, rather trying to figure out how on earth it works, uh, how it can be different. Uh, I want to look at my artwork, which I really like and appreciate. Uh, one of the questions uh, people ask me is, how's your artwork? Is it, uh, I have a question, it's good. My honest answer, it's very good. <laughs> I will never finish an artwork till it is very good for me. Yeah. And some of my artworks have taken years to do. Some are still not complete because it's not very good. I mean, it's not very egoistic. But I cannot walk away from a, a piece of work unless I feel so good about it. Yes, it's, it's your heart satisfaction. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So what you see behind me is going on. What do you, there's some of the walls. Uh, I have one, that piece of the wall over there that's been there for six years. It's not over. And uh, there are so many works and progresses not over. Uh, going forward, I will look, I'm looking at several extensions to my art. I'm coming out with a series of arch merchandise right now, uh, something which is done by very, very few people around the world. Uh, you're going to see uh, my artwork on merchandise, uh, which is a completely different concept. It is a completely different marketing approach. Uh, it's going to have, uh, it's going to come on jackets and hoodies or appliances on canvas and different different ways where it's done in a very exclusive way. So I have a website which is coming called infinitystudio.live which is going to show all these uh, merchandise which is going to be available. Uh, this is for people who really appreciate art but uh, want to wear them and they want to be a work of art so it could come on a cup and it could, there are artists and uh, world famous photographers are very keen to come and join me there. So they will have their artwork given with their permission and with their certificate of authenticity. And even if you buy a, a coffee cup with their artwork on it, it'll have a serial number which they can go and check that it's registered in their name with the consent of the artist and not just given and sold to all and sundry. Yeah. So it's a new concept. So few people who have got it are very excited about it. But we really have to see how it is uh, going forward. So this is my twist to the entrepreneurial journey of art. Uh, <laughs> maybe the next conversation uh, we could have on this and what my plans are around this. Yeah, that would be interesting. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure the kind of work I have been seeing yours, it is going to be amazing. And I'm sure it is going to get a real momentum you know, when it will be out in the market. I'm sure a couple of them are already out in the market and some coming up. Um, and as you say, that artwork, artistic life is something, you know, it never perfects. There is always something to do, you know. So I'm sure I'm looking forward to that. And I'm going to wait for you to visit sometime Australia. And we will definitely like to visit your gallery someday when you will be here we might have the in-person interview at that time but for the time being all your details will be given on the description and the audience can reach you out uh, if they need anything any help any particular specific is that okay with you thank you so much Priya. that will be greatly appreciated thank you thank you for joining in today and it was a really great conversation looking forward to the next one thank you thank you Priya. wonderful thank you for your time have a good day